verse 9, it says, this is Nehemiah speaking, and he says, Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. And so I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. And I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool. But there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall. And I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. And then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. And so they strengthened their hands for the good work. Then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brothers the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel, and next to him the men of Jericho built, and next to them Zachor the son of Imri built. You may be seated. Now you're probably wondering, what in the world are we going to talk about this this morning? Um, and you're about to find out. Um, first, I want to say uh, thank you guys again for uh, just being with us this morning, um, bearing with us just through the, the, all the little kinks that come to just being a young church, being a young uh, church plant. Uh, so I want to officially just kind of welcome you guys. Welcome to, to King's Cross Church. And that's, uh, that's kind of fun to say, right? It's kind of fun to say if you've been on our launch team, if you've been with us for the last several months, that we can say welcome to King's Cross Church. Because it's crazy that we're actually kind of gathered now as a church family, as a young church in the early days. It's crazy that we're actually like not just meeting in homes for prayer, for, for prayer meetings or for vision gatherings, but we're actually starting to meet now as a church family. It's a beautiful thing. See, we've been praying and preparing for the last several months, and some of, them, some of us have actually been praying for the last few years, uh, and now here we are. We've sort of launched our church services. We're into this, this, this soft launch is what we're calling this. And the reason that we're calling it a soft launch is because our work is far, is far from done, right? Like throughout the summer, we're going to introduce and start rolling out uh, opportunities to, to, to meet and grow in community through like uh, community groups and, and, and things like that. We're going to assess the needs of our community uh, that we live in uh, throughout the summer and find out ways that we as a church might be called to, to serve uh, our neighbors. And so our work is far from done, but we are now meeting on Sundays as a church family and, and 
Can we just say, like, that's a thrilling thing. We praise God for that, right? And so this morning, we're actually going to continue what we started to talk about a few weeks ago. This morning, we're going to continue uh, through our series in the book of Nehemiah, our first sermon series on the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. And see, like, we have this tendency when we think of the Old Testament in the books of the Old Testament, we have this tendency to think that Old Testament books are, are stale and dry and boring. But the Bible says in the New Testament, Paul says, you know, all scripture, all scripture is breathed out by God and is useful. All scripture is breathed out by God and is useful. And when Paul wrote that, I mean, the only canon that he had, the only scriptures that he had was really the Old Testament. And so when, when he says all scripture is breathed out by God and useful, he's talking about the book of Nehemiah. And see, the book of Nehemiah is useful for us because in it, we learn how God works in and through his people. We learn how God works in and through his, his people. It's not just a book of mere history. It's a history that shows us how God thinks, how God acts, where his priorities and purposes are in the world, and what matters most to him. It's the story, Nehemiah is the story of how God sovereignly works. We talked about that last week. How God sovereignly works through an ordinary guy named Nehemiah, he works through an ordinary guy to do an extraordinary work, like rebuild the walls that fortify Jerusalem, God's city. You see, it's the story of how God rebuilds his city so that his people can, on the one hand, once again worship him faithfully in the city, but on the other hand, they can also be now a faithful example of his truth, his goodness, and his beauty to the surrounding and watching world. It's kind of like our mission today, right? Like we're called also, much like Nehemiah was doing back in his day, we're called to worship God faithfully, but also to be a faithful example of his truth, goodness, and beauty. And so Nehemiah and his crew, his little posse, like their mission back then is much like ours in church planting. To know God and to make him known. To know God and make him known. And so here we are now at the last half of Nehemiah chapter 2. And Nehemiah, who's seeking the welfare of Jerusalem, he's seeking the welfare of Israel, the welfare of God's people. Nehemiah, seeking the welfare of God's people, he's now on this holy ambition, a holy ambition to rebuild the walls, to refortify God's city. And as we've seen, God gave him favor with the king, right? The king, he used to be kind of a hater of this project, right? The king used to be like really against the idea of rebuilding the walls. But God gives Nehemiah favor with that king. And now the the king releases him to do the work. But now at this point, what we're going to look at this morning now, he actually has to get that work done. He actually has to get that work done. We've seen how he prayed, how he planned, how he prepared. But here, Nehemiah and the people, like they actually have to get work done. He has to actually lead the people. And really, like that's the hardest part, right? It's kind of the daily, weekly, month in and month out grind of uh, serving and, and working for the Lord. And so as Nehemiah and the people respond in our text this morning, we're going to look at three areas 
three specific areas of Nehemiah's leadership as he begins this next step of his journey. Three areas of Nehemiah's leadership that we're going to look at that should now inform that in, in, that should inform how we labor on our mission today. You see, a lot of people will say that Nehemiah is, is a great leadership book, right? You've got, got great leadership principles throughout the book of Nehemiah. When, whenever you hear a talk about like Christian leadership, everyone, they're like, oh, look, like, read the book of Nehemiah. And that's true. That's true and that's good. Like Nehemiah is a ph- phenomenal book from which we can learn about Christian leadership principles. But it's also more than a great leadership book. It's about God's priorities. It's about what God cares about. And it still has valuable leadership insights for us today that we can learn from. I mean, and really, like, if, if you think about it, like, all of us, all of us in some sense, we're all, we're all leaders, right? Because a leader is basically anybody that has influence, any, any level of influence on the pers- people around them, right? And so really, in some sense, like, every single one of us is a leader. You're either, like, a good leader or a bad leader. You either have good influence or poor influence on the people around you. And so what I want us to see is in terms of our mission, coming alongside Nehemiah's mission, like we want to see three areas of Nehemiah's leadership that we're going to unpack this morning. Uh, and here, here are those three areas. Um, look up at the screen. It's first, you assess what's broken. Assess what's broken. Secondly, you inspire others. And thirdly, you mobilize for mission. First, assess what's broken. Secondly, inspire others. Three, mobilize for mission. Now, when we're talking about godly leadership, there's certainly more steps than just that. But this is what we're going to see in the text, okay? So the last half of chapter 2 and the beginning of verse 3, that's the, or the, those are the three things we're going to look at. Let's, let's tackle that first one. Assess what's broken. Assess what's broken. Read Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 12 with me. It says, Nehemiah says, I arose in the night... I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. So, Nehemiah, here he is. He goes now to see the damage of the walls with his own eyes. That's his purpose. He wants to see the damage with his own eyes. But check out the way he does it. It's kind of curious, right? Kind of curious how Nehemiah does it. It says that he arose in the night. And he told no one about his mission at this point. That's kind of odd, right? Like, why would he not tell him? Like, why, why so secret, right? Why the secrecy, Nehemiah? You see, at this point, he hasn't communicated his vision to anyone. Why the intense secrecy? The intense secrecy is for a couple reasons. First, Nehemiah, he doesn't want to be hasty, He doesn't want to be too hasty in the work. You see, we've seen this leadership principle in Nehemiah in the last couple weeks, haven't we? You don't want to be hasty. He took time to pray. He took time to plan. He took time to prepare. Nehemiah, he knows that it's a big deal to rebuild the walls around God's city. He knows there's this huge task in front of him. And he knows that you can't just cast a a vision of naive optimism you can't just cast a vision of naive optimism and expect people to like get the work done. No, it's going to take lots of work. It's going to take lots of preparation, lots of prayer, lots of fundraising and people raising. It starts by addressing, by assessing, and investigating what's broken so that you can then know 
what are the true needs? He knows the walls are broken. He's like, look, we need to assess what are the true needs. You see, people ask me, once they find out that like, our, our, our church has uh, launched, that we're having services now, people have asked me, uh, like they'll see, they'll see ads for another church on Facebook, and, and they'll say, like, man, what, you guys should do that. Like, when are you going to do some big marketing campaign? Um, and, and my answer is, like, we're not. At least not right now. Maybe not ever. We probably will at some point. But for right now, like, we're not. And that's why we called Easter launch, like, like we, we said a few minutes ago, that's why we called it our, our soft launch, right? Because there's still work to do. There's still gatherings for us to pray. There's still money to raise. There's still things that we want to assess and, like, in, in our church, like work out some of, the, some of the kinks in our Sunday worship service or in our, our, how we do community or in how we engage uh, uh, our, 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 our cities and, and, and our neighborhoods. There's still more work to do before we do the, the, the big launch. And so we're pressing forward, continuing and assessing the needs of our community and our neighborhoods, praying for those needs, and pressing forward in our mission. You see, we want to get the basics down first. We want to get the basics down first. That's why we didn't launch with 20 different ministries, right? Because we don't want to be pulled in 20 different directions. And so you don't, you you want to do the slow work of, of praying and of planning and assessing, you don't want to, because if you don't do that, then what you'll do is you'll start a church, you'll start uh, an organization, you'll start a mission based on personally held assumptions rather than be informed by the Word of God and by prayer. So that's why we're starting small intentionally. That's why we're starting basic. Because we don't, we don't have anything dragging us down. We don't have any sacred cows. You know what I mean? And so we don't have any sacred crowds, but we we do have the Spirit of God. We do have the Word of God. We do have each other. And see, Nehemiah knew this principle. He knew that he needed to get the project started right, not to be hasty, in the right order and in the right way. And so that was the first reason. The second reason uh, that he inspected the walls in secrecy is that there are enemies to the mission of God. There are enemies to the mission of God. You see, there are people who don't want to get this project, Nehemiah's project, his mission, off the ground. As one theologian has said, like, haters are going to hate, right? Like, you, he, there are people that didn't want this mission to get off the ground. The mission of God has enemies, has enemies, those who oppose inside, from inside, and from the outside. And if these, if these haters, if these enemies got word of the project first, then it would be an absolute disaster, right? It would be an absolute disaster. And so he tells no one, and he inspects in secrecy. Read on with me the rest of verse 12. He says, Then there was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I expected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. And then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. But then I went up in the night by the valley and expected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate. 
and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. And so you've, you've noticed there's like all these gates he talks about, right? Those gates are basically the different neighborhoods of the city. The different neighborhoods of the city. And so basically, what that tells us is that Nehemiah, he's inspecting and assessing every nook and cranny of the neighborhoods. You see, like... Sometimes, uh, like Alyssa and I, when we, when we go out on, on walks, like around our neighborhood or around RSM Lake, um, like sometimes we'll actually like pray for the community. We'll pray for the different neighborhoods. We'll pray for people that we've met um, out in the community. And, and we'll, ask, we'll ask as we're praying for discernment to see the spiritual needs of the community that we live in and pray that our church can meet those needs. You see, there's, there's a helpful principle here that we can't, we can't miss. There's a helpful principle that we can't miss, and that's honestly assessing the broken walls of the church is key to building and strengthening the church. Honestly assessing the broken walls of the church is key to building and strengthening the church. And now... Remember, like when we say the walls of the church, we're not actually talking physical walls, right? <laughs> like, see, back then, Nehemiah's mission was to rebuild, refortify the city around Jerusalem. But now, like God, God doesn't have a He doesn't have a geographical city that has people meet in. Now it's the New Testament church, right? The church has has like has kind of been been, been grafted in. It's like it's not it's no longer a nation. Uh, of, of God, like we're now a people of God from every tribe, from every tongue, from every language, right? And so, and so when we talk, when we think about the broken walls of the church, what, we're, what we, we're looking at is not physical walls, but what is our spiritual condition? That's what we should be asking this morning when we look at this text. What is the spiritual condition of the church? What is the spiritual condition of our church planting team? What is the spiritual condition of our lives? How do we love the truths of God's word? How do they bear weight on our lives? How are we conducting ourselves with one another, with our neighbors, with the world? You see, to be a church that is always reforming, always maturing, always renewing and reshaping itself according to the word of God, then we need a willingness to actually walk the walls of our lives and ask, what's the condition? How healthy am I? Are you willing to inspect? Are you willing to assess, to look at your own contribution? To walk the walls of your own life, of your marriage, of your parenting, of your service in the church, of the way that you live your life. It's not an easy thing to do, right? It's not an easy thing to do to actually kind of stop, sit in silence before God or with his word in your hand and say, like, man, how does like how healthy is my is my life? It's not an easy thing to do, inspecting the walls, because you know that when you inspect the walls, when you assess your condition, you're going to find damage. You're going to find rubble. You're going to find holes. And that's a humbling thing, isn't it? See, that's why it's more fun to inspect the walls of other people, (laughs) of other churches, of other networks or denominations. It's a lot more fun to inspect someone else's walls, but it's hard to 
inspect and assess our own condition. But you see, healthy Christians must be willing to assess their own lives if they want to continue to grow in the grace of God. You see, it's absolutely foolish to assume that you don't have any personally held assumptions or presuppositions that are, are shaping the way that you, you look at the world. Like We need to, 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 to assess ourselves to, to grow in a sense of self-awareness. You see, if we don't do that, then we're not about the mission. We're about self-preservation. But we need to remember that like we, we never arrive right? We're sinners saved by the grace of God. We never arrive at pure holiness, right? Like that, that was Jesus's job. And we're not Jesus, right? And so we, if we've never arrived, then there's always something to assess, always something to inspect, always an area of our character, of our way of thinking, of the way we love others that we can grow in. And you're a fool to think that you've arrived, you see, you're never going to find yourself looking at your spiritual condition, at your own spiritual condition, and say, hey, I think I made it, <laughs> right? Like, I, I think I made it. This was a good year for me, spiritually speaking. Like, I think I made it. None of us is going to say that. See, you're not, and that's not supposed to discourage us from, from, from trying, from growing. It's supposed to actually drive us to Jesus, it's supposed to, to drive us. That's why we do the, the prayer, the silent prayer of confession, followed by an assurance of pardon, right? Because we want to celebrate the grace that we have in Jesus. We turn to him. It drives us to Jesus, who can truly transform us as unworthy instruments of his grace in the world. See, Nehemiah, he inspects, he assesses for the purpose of building, strengthening, fortifying. See, that was his end goal. He wanted to strengthen the city. In order to do that, he needed to start with, well, we need to assess the walls first. We need to inspect first. Some of us are really good at criticizing the problems in others or in our churches or in our communities or in our nation. We've never actually taken part in the solution. You see, when was the last time that you asked your friends, the people that are close to you, your spouse, your friends, the people that you serve with, maybe even people in this church, like when was the last time that you asked your friends, hey, where do you see that I can be growing? Right? Because let's all admit, like we have blind spots, right? Don't try to find your own blind spots. That's why they're blind spots, right? Like we ask others, like, hey, where do you think, where do you see marks, like marks in my character that I can wear areas that I should grow spiritually. You see, if you're like me, then like like I want to believe that I live in a world where I'm like pretty much amazing, right? Like I never fail and I'm always right. That's like a poor sense of self-awareness if that's how you live your life, right? And so it's part of God's gracious process in us. It's part of the way that he loves us. It's part of his gracious process and loving work in the life of every Christian and every church to help us assess and inspect our lives through other people. You see, you can't just celebrate where the walls are strong. You have to be willing to discuss where the walls are weak. That's what Nehemiah was doing. Like He knew that if the city was to be strong and fortified, he needed to inspect where it was weak. If all he did was walk around the city and say, man, you know, like this spot right here, amazing, super strong, right? Like look at the way those bricks are laid. Like I can't push it over, right? But there's this gaping hole right next to it. Like if that's all he does and doesn't inspect like what's, what's broken, like that doesn't do any good towards actually strengthening the city, right? 
And so we need to be quick to acknowledge our own brokenness and our own need for God's grace. And so that's the first point that we see assessing what's broken. Secondly, we see that Nehemiah, he inspires others. He inspires others. Look at verse 17 with me. He says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. And so they strengthened their hands for the good work. Notice here. Notice here how Nehemiah identifies with that, right? Remember, he's been away in a castle for years. He was working for the king, but he doesn't say, hey, look, this is your trouble. He says, this is the trouble that we are in. He identifies with that. And look at the rest of verse 17. He actually imparts faith. He imparts vision to this people by pointing them to a better future. That's informed by God. He says, come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. You see, these people, like God's people at this time, they'd stopped believing in the promises of God. They'd stopped hoping that their circumstances could change. They just kind of learned to grow accustomed to the shame of having broken walls around their city. But see, godly leaders... What a godly leader does is he assesses what's broken in his life and in in the church, and he inspires others to fulfill God's work, to seek, to obey, to trust him and glorify them. And here's how Nehemiah inspired the people. He he pointed them back to God's activity and power, right? he, He inspired them by locating their current position in the timeline of the Bible's history. You see, he he says, um, that we may no longer suffer derision. See, Nehemiah used, or God uses Nehemiah's words to basically jolt their faith and confidence in God. And they respond, it says, by saying, let us rise up and build. Let us rise and build. And it says, so they strengthened their hands. In other words, they responded by Nehemiah inspiring them by saying, we can do this. We can do this not so much because of how amazing a leader Nehemiah is, but Nehemiah just reminded us how amazing our God is. A God who desires a hope for us, a future for us. That's the greatest good of godly leadership. You see, that's the purpose of godly leaders is to call people to God, call people to God's mission, and inspire them. You see, that's why God puts leaders in place. It's not so that they can hoard it over others and oppress them, but so they can serve them by pointing them to someone who's greater than them, pointing them to Jesus. We need godly leaders in this church and in our community to provide a God-shaped vision. A vision for the future that's formed by the word of God. And we also need others who can catch that, that vision. Like, 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 what do you think of when you think of leadership? That word leadership. You see, a lot of us, when we think of leaders, like when I tell you to think of like a past leader, most of us have like baggage with that word, right? Like most of us have baggage attached to that word leadership. We, and we often think of leadership as like, oppre- like oppressive or, or overexerting. Or like we'll think of leadership only in terms of like formal positions like a CEO or a coach or a captain or a boss or, or, or a pastor. 
But when Nehemiah models actually speaks to all of us. You know, we said earlier, really, if you have any influence with the people around you, then you're a leader. It might just be your home. It might be your neighbors. It might be your spouse or your friend. If you have any kind of influence in any kind of setting, whether it's your home, school, work, neighborhood, relationships, your family, then you're a leader. You're just either a good one or a bad one. But again, godly leaders use their influence, use their position that's given to them by God to point others to God's vision for the world. And so, and so my question to you is, like with the influence God has given you in your home, at work, or at school, and the influence God has given you, what are you pointing people to? What is it that you are pointing people to with your words, with your life, with your, 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 your actions? You see, some of us use our, our influence to point to death instead of life, to stir disunity amongst people rather than being just like a godly leader where you are. It doesn't matter if you have a specific role or title, like... You need to be a good leader right where you're all. Like, don't wait for that title. Don't wait for that role to lead. Our words, our example, our, and, and our faith uh, influence others. And so if we are people of prayer who love the glory of God, then we can influence others like Nehemiah did. The third thing we see in this passage is that Nehemiah mobilized others for mission. He mobilized others for mission. Read chapter 3 with me. Man, this is a fun chapter. It says, Then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brothers, the priest, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as, as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zachar, the son of Imri, built. The sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hekaz, repaired. And next to them, Meshalam, the son of Berokiah, son of Meshezabel, repaired. And next to them, Zadak, the son of Bana, repaired. And don't worry, we won't read the whole chapter, but we'll stop right, right there. Man, that's a lot of names, right? That's a lot of names. Uh, a lot of great kids' names in here, if you're looking. A lot of names here, and you're, and, you're, and you're wondering, like, man, who are these people, right? Like, why are their names preserved on the pages of Scripture? Like, a lot of commentaries, a lot of commentaries, like the best-selling commentary on Nehemiah actually skips chapter 3, because it's just like a whole list of names. It's like, people just, they're like, I don't know what to do with this. Right, and maybe maybe you're wondering that too, right? Like, I don't know what to do with this with this chapter. But remember, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is useful. The point of chapter three, it goes on for thirty-two voices. All these names, where he says, and then next to him, and then next to them, and like all these all these names. The point is, look, the church is not about just a few great leaders. The local church is not about leaders. It's about the Spirit of God working through the people of God. That's the point of chapter 3. See, when we think of, 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 of churches, usually we think of like 
the one guy who talks behind the pulpit or like the one team that kind of leads or like we think of the ministry leaders. But, but this, this chapter shows us that no, the church is not about a few great leaders. It's about the spirit of God through the people of God. You see, if you've been paying attention, you know the, the first seven chapters of Nehemiah is basically like his journal. Right? He's basically journaling in the first seven chapters what happened when God called him to rebuild the walls. And so it's important to get because if this is Nehemiah's journal, then man, these people meant something to him. He had a personal relationship with them. He's a leader commissioned by God, but he's a leader commissioned by God to inspire and lead others. And these names, this chapter 3 records these names and the way that they served and worked. And here's what I love about that. Here's what I love about chapter 3. The names on this list, they're average people. They're ordinary people. Almost every single name on this, like you never see again in scripture. And so that might, you might be tempted to think, well, like what a waste of time to read those names. But what's remarkable in this chapter is it shows that, look, average ordinary people, they showed up. They showed up. They participated. They showed up, they worked hard, they served the Lord, and they made it into the Bible. (laughs) That tells us that God takes note of our lives. He takes note of the ordinary lives of his people. You see, in chapter 2, the people said, let us rise and build. And here, the people actually rose up, all of them, and they start the work of building. And what we see here in chapter 3 is this powerful image of what the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to look like. It's a powerful image. Different people, the different stripes, different tribes, side by side, every member playing a part. If you look around this room, we've got a pretty diverse group of people too. It's a beautiful thing, the local church. The church of Jesus, side by side, every member playing his or her part. And see, there's a few fantastic points like I really want us to see about the laborers in this passage that I think is applicable to our church today. I'll go through them quickly. First, in chapter 3, we see that there's diversity. There's diversity. And see, when you slow down, when you actually slow down and read this carefully, this chapter carefully, you'll, you'll notice there's both men and women working. There's clergy and lay people working. You've got different groups from different neighborhoods, different classes, different trades. You've got rulers, workers, goldsmiths, merchants, perfumers, like every part of the culture, every part of the society is laid out here in chapter three. And the phrase is repeated over and over. It says, next to him, these people worked. Next to them, those people worked. And next to her, this guy worked. And that's an interesting, this is an interesting point in the Bible's, this, this, this time in history in Nehemiah chapter 3 is actually a really fascinating point in the Bible's overarching story. You see, as the Bible progresses, the way that God works through people becomes more inclusive becomes less about the guys up top and more about the people. You see, in the, in the beginning, at the start, like God works primarily through individuals, right? He worked through Moses, through, through David, through specific prophets or, or, or judges. And then in Nehemiah, 
leading up to the coming of Jesus, Nehemiah, we see something different. We see the priests can't do it themselves. Right? The priests show up in the first couple of verses of Nehemiah chapter 3. They consecrated their work. They said, hey, this work is holy. And then everyone does the work. The priests can't do it themselves. They're working alongside others. You see, their job was not to be the same. The goal was to be different, but together. To be diverse, but unified. You see, that kind of diversity is what makes the church not only beautiful, but strong today. You know, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? Heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what happens sometimes is that, like, like you, you might be in this room and, and, and say, like, look, I'm, I'm a big heart person, right? Like, I love people. I'm really passionate. I'm a big heart person. What happens is sometimes what we see in churches is that, like, all the heart people tend to stick together, Right? You'll have an entire church of like heart people. Or you'll have like all the, all the theologues, right, that love doctrine, that love theology, that love to study, all the head people, all the mind people. They tend to flock to the same churches like over here, right? Um, and what ha- ends up happening, this is a sad thing when this happens, right, is that like all, 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 all the mind guys, all the head guys are like pointing fingers at all the other churches and say like, oh, look how silly they are. Like they don't care about the Bible like we do. Right? But all these heart people are pointing at the theology guys and say, look at them wasting their time pontificating in their ivory towers. Like they don't love people the way that we do. But Jesus said, no, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. God's given each of us like different inclinations, different gifts, different perspectives and ways that we see things. And we need each other. We need that diversity. We want to be holistic. We want to be unified. We want to be healthy and integrated. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you see, God's church works when every part and when every member is working together in unison. You see, in fact, the Bible uses terminology to show that we are one unit made up of many different valuable parts, right? He says we're, we're like a building of different stones. We're, we're like a family, Right? Spiritual family. Where he says we're like a body, like Romans 12. Read it, it'll be on the screen. Romans 12, he says, Look, as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. You see, that's what the church is. That's what the church is. We're called to be a body that is on the great commission together to make disciples and see the gospel grow in the lives of people and to see our church mature. We're a body of many different parts, many diverse parts with different functions, but we work together. We're members of one another. And so that's one thing we see in in, in chapter 3 is diversity. A second thing we see is that there's an intense willingness. There's a willingness. One commentator says, points out that, you know, some people built the wall across from their house. 
And that's that's great, right? Like, that makes sense because you're you're like, man, if if my house is right here and the wall across the street from me is like broken and in shambles, like uh, it's it's probably my best interest to make sure that it's strong and that it looks nice and everything. But what's what's crazy is, as one commentator points out, is that not only do people build the wall across from their house, but we also see people coming from the outside. People coming from the outside. See, not many people actually lived in the actual city. Because the city was considered at that time unsafe because there was no wall around it. And so, but it says the Gideonites, people from Jericho, people from distant, who were distant from the city, they came in to help build. And so we should want to, to, to help and serve in an area of a church, even when it's a no direct benefit to ourselves. Like that's the point. We should want to help in areas of church, even when it's not a direct benefit to ourselves. You see, what was the benefit to those people to serve, like to, to travel miles upon miles just to, to help rebuild the walls? The benefit wasn't to them personally. The benefit was for the whole. You see, they worked on parts that didn't benefit them directly. It's a helpful reminder that, that we're to help strengthen parts of the church, even when it's a no personal benefit to, to ourselves. To be involved in a ministry that's of no immediate benefit to, to you. It's like when older couples or, 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 or singles are serving children or married people reach out to single people or, I mean, you know, people of different, different life stages all serving one another. That's how the church is supposed to work. That's how the church is supposed to work. And the third thing that we see is that there's an intense unity. There is unity. It says they worked together over and over in the chapter. As we as we, we mentioned, we read that phrase: "Next to him, next to them, next to her." And see, not, sometimes we get tunnel vision, don't we? We get tunnel vision to where all we see is our own life, our own relationships, our own passions, our own desires, our own ministry, our own perspective on things, and we only see the part of the wall that we're working on. Right? Look, that's good and important, right? It's, it's important to have focus, to be intentional, but you'll lose the vision of what you're building if you don't also look left and right. See, your part of the wall only makes sense when you understand that God is building something bigger. The point of a local church is not you, as great and beautiful like a personal benefit is, right, of being a part of the local church, but like that's not the point. The point of the local church is not you. The point of the local church is what God's building, which you have the privilege of being a part of. You see, as each of these families or groups worked on their part of the wall, they would look to their right and to their left, and they would be profoundly aware that their labor, that their service, was just a small part of this greater work and greater purpose. And we need that same reminder in the church today to know that we're building something together. It's not just about you. It's not just about your life and your family. It is about those things, but it's not just about those things. You see, Jesus is building his church. It's about the spirit of God and the people of God. He's doing a work in the world through the glory of the gospel, and we get to be a part of it. You see, his glory, his story can't be contained in one person, can't be contained in one family, can't be contained even in one church. Like we're all a part of the bigger thing that God's doing. It's about us, but it's also about what God is doing in all of us together. And that actually gives us a greater meaning to our laboring. 
right? That gives a greater meaning to our, our service that we're engaged in, that our little part of the wall matters to the whole. So a question to ask this morning is, like, what is your part of the wall? What is your part of the wall? Wherever it is that you are, you and your life, whatever stage of life that you're in, it's worth living. It's, wor- it's living, like live it worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of us think of, like, my life will be a valuable, like I'll participate when I have a formal ministry. Or when our church gets to a point to where, like, we have, like, a building, right? But, like, all of us have a part of the wall that we're responsible for, that we're, we're building, that we can serve in uh, today through our influence, our relationships, your marriage. Like, your family is part of the wall. You start to see the magnitude of what God is building through his labors through the way that people serve together. You see, he's building his church, and we get to play our part. We get to play our part. Like we're we're all a part of this this mission together. Like there's few things. There are two things. There's two main things that will unify like God's God's people, and that we see in this text. And that's first is that they had a shared identity, right, as the people of God, and 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 secondly, they had a shared mission. I mean, if you look at every, like, classic children's story, right? Like, with how many of you guys have seen Toy Story, right? Okay. Um, so most of us have seen Toy Story. Um, so I'm going to give away a little bit spoiler if you haven't seen it. So, um, so if you haven't seen it, I'm sorry, but that's kind of your fault. Um, like, how do you not see Toy Story? But, um, like, in, it's, it's not like a huge spoiler. But basically, um, like, look, in, in, any, in any children's story, in any classic story, like, like, we see this in a lot of Pixar films, and we see this in Toy Story. You got, you got Buzz Lightyear and, and Woody the Cowboy, right? Totally different guys that, like, just hate each other at the beginning. And the two things that kind of unify them eventually is when, they realize, is when Buzz realizes that he has a shared identity. Like, no, he's not a space ranger. He's just a toy. Right? But that's a. So he has a shared identity. But secondly, when they have a shared mission, right? Like all of a sudden, it's like their differences don't matter. Their differences don't matter. Like they actually like start to work together because of they all of a sudden they have this shared identity and this shared mission. And every great story, children's stories, like adult stories, and every great story where you see people that are in conflict who are like forced to work together towards something greater than them, it's because they have this, this realization that they have a shared identity and a shared mission. That story, that narrative, in a much more truer, in a much more beautiful way, is the story of God's people in Scripture. You see, the people are scattered in Nehemiah's day. They're all over the place. They're in exile. And all of a sudden, God provides a leader, Nehemiah, who inspires the people, who reminds them of the shared identity that they have and calls them to a shared mission. You see, this is how God works. That's how he still works today. You see, he's done work for us. He does work on us. And now he'll do work through us. That's why he says we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in in them. You see, that's how big God is. God doesn't just save us from our sin. He, He saves us to a mission. 
to a purpose, to good works that, that he planned that he's going to accomplish with or without us, but we have the privilege of participating in his sovereign work in the world. You see, God knew who you would be. He knew when you'd be born. He knew where he would place you, the gifts that he'd give you, so that, he could, so that you could be a part of his work to be a part of building his, his church. Maybe be a part of building this church. You see, some of us need to thank God for how he's been working on us and how he's been equipping us. See, others of us who have been serving faithfully and wondering like, if, our, if our work matters, if our service matters, Others of us who've been serving faithfully, we need to see that the names of regular, ordinary people, that they made it into the Bible. That's why we don't skip it. That's why we read from chapter 3. These people are examples that God can and does work through us. Your life, your labor, your service is not in vain. We don't participate in the work of God because we have to, but because we, we get to. Jesus has done a work for us. He's doing a work in us. And by that same grace, Jesus gives us the joy of watching him work and build, work through us to, to build his church. You see, in Nehemiah, the people of the city, they banded together under Nehemiah's leadership to rebuild the temple and the city walls because that's where the holiness of God dwelled, right? In the city, in the temple. But all of that really pointed forward to a greater time. All of that pointed forward to a time that Jesus would die on, would come to earth, live the life that we could never live, die the death on a cross that we deserve to die, and rise from the grave so that he could adopt undeserving sinners like you and me into the family of God. And when that happened, the holiness of God, the glory of God broke out of the building, broke beyond the walls and the people, or beyond the walls of the city, and now dwells in people. Now the glory of God, the holiness of God dwells in the church. And we'll close by reading this passage from 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, Look, as you come to him, as you come to Jesus, who is a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. You see, God worked through Nehemiah and through the people to rebuild the city of God. Jesus now, through the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, through the Spirit of God, through the preaching of the word and the planting of local churches, he's building a spiritual house, a living temple, living stones made up of undeserving sinners like you and me. Praise God for that. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church podcast. If you would like to learn more about King's Cross Church, or make a donation, please visit kx.church. Here at King's Cross, we believe that worship means more than just listening to a sermon, and we encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. For Sunday morning meeting time and location for King's Cross Church, please visit kx.church. Thanks again for listening. 